You are listening to Artistic Finance, Show 73. On today's show, I interview director Jonathan Cerullo. We discuss his finances through a career as a Broadway dancer and his transition into incorporating as an LLC. We discuss how he wound up quoted in a Business Insider article and how he maintains his email and social media newsletter. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. We are recording this October 13th, 2021. Broadway shows are opening like wildfire. Tonight, Thoughts of a Colored Man opens. The West End shows are opening. Singapore just reopened its borders to tourists. That's a bit of what's going on in the world. Today, our guest is director, choreographer, executive producer, and former professional dancer, Jonathan Cerullo. Welcome, Jonathan. Welcome. Thank you. Delighted Could to be you here. start off by telling us a bit about yourself? Well, first of all, Ethan, thank you for having me on this. Um, what a successful endeavor you've been doing with this. Um, as far as uh, my, myself is, um, uh, I just turned sixty, so I'm grateful that um, I'm I'm of that uh, age, and I have a perspective on this career that I've been working and doing for the past forty years. Um, so I live in New York City, um, uh, same apartment for thirty nine years. I uh, graduated from Emerson College with my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Directing, minors in English, Photography, and Dance. Uh, which will play a key role in my life. I have a twin. I'm a twin. Uh, my other half is math and science, and I got the arts and humanities. Uh, so that's a wonderful part of my, my life. I want to move to your creative and financial personalities. What is a live event that you like to experience? I like to experience good theater. I was a Lucille Lortel nominator for that prestigious award for the off What does that theater. mean that you were a nominator? My union, the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union, asked me to be part of the nominating committee for this award. It's the Lucille Lortel Award, which has been around for decades, and it actually governs the off-Broadway, like the League does Broadway and the Tony Awards. This is the off-Broadway awards. It completely has to do with the rulings, the size of the house, what the contract you're on, all of, all of those machinations. We say off-Broadway. And the shows that are actually off, off Broadway or off, 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 because people throw around the term off Broadway. But if you're up for a Lucille Lortel Award, that's actually the real off Broadway. That is a legitimate, codified, uh, recognized collective bargaining agreement for that particular level of theater. You are right. People toss around off Broadway, but really it could be a showcase and that is not considered off Broadway. It is considered a showcase uh, or any other machination thereof. And, and there are so many different requirements that a producer must fill. The producer actually has to be a member of the Off-Broadway League. So it, it's governed by, you know, it's sanctioned by various rules and regulations. But the Lucille Lortel Outer Critics Circle Awards and the Drama Desk Awards are all sanctioned to nominate Off-Broadway. And that award, in combination with the Joe A. Calloway Award, which is a peer-to-peer -peer award that's given by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union to 
each other. There's no outside nominators that are part of that. It's just directors and choreographers looking at directors and choreographers' work. So it's a really recognition from your peers. It's a peer-to-peer -peer award. Whereas the Lortel, you've got scenic designers, you've got a whole gambit of, of a crossbreed of, of, of various persons looking at that, a lot of journalists, critics, etc. Through that, in answer to your question, I, I spent eight years doing this. It was getting a PhD from Yale Repertory Theater, Harvard Business School, MIT, every Ivy League school. It rolled into those eight years that I could have never paid for. It sharpened to a laser perfect focus what constitutes good theater. And it could be a whole gamut of different criterias. Boy, I tell you, the one thing is if it didn't catch me in the first five minutes, I knew it wasn't going to catch me. It wasn't going to make me sit up. Because when you have such a plethora of work, I understand so carefully now what even the Tony Awards committees go through to recognize someone in, in, in their field. They're not kidding. They are not kidding. That is a tough competition out there. I'm grateful for it because when you say, what, what events do I like? I like good theater. I mean, I really do. I, I don't mean to sound so, so, so silly about that. but I No, and, and, and I think that's a great answer because the same thing with people who nominate for the Tonys. They have to go see every single show. If it's Everything. good, if it's bad, and if they miss one, they're not allowed to vote for it or in that category. They're not allowed to vote. You are to recuse yourself from a category if you did not see. You are to recuse yourself from a category if you, if you missed one out of the four shows. You can't even, and they keep track. They know who's gone where and when you showed up and when you didn't and, show and up. And also, because I know people who nominate for the Tonys and they have to go see every single one of those shows, but there's actually more off-Broadway theater than there is Broadway theater. I saw in an average year over 200 plays and musicals. So over the eight years, you do the math. It's literally thousands, thousands of shows, the, you know, close to thousands of shows. That It was quite an education. Which you can do in New York. And I think people from other cities that don't have as big of a theater scene think, you know, because that's every other day you're seeing a show. You oh, know, 200 day. shows a year. <laughs> it's every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, because, because those are <laughs> yeah. just the off-Broadway nominated or potential. Then there's... Broadway and the dance and the opera, which is not part of the off-Broadway categories. I, I, I rolled off, as they call it, after you know the eight years. And I was grateful to do that because it really became a chore. I stopped enjoying going to it. And like I, I, like I said, I could tell within five minutes if this was going to be nominated, that wasn't going to be nominated. You can't do that. Yeah. So I needed to take a breath and take a step away from it, um, being where we've been, uh, not being able to go to the theater. I'm grateful that it came when it did. Um, I kind of want to go back to it now. So Lortel Committee, if you're listening, you know, call me. But it really was exciting. I will say All right, that. so on to your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I am careful with money. I am respectful of money. And I'm terribly afraid. Have of you it. been afraid your whole life? Yes and no. That fear changed over time. I'm blessed to have been brought up in a very stable household. As I talked to my dad, I said, if I lived one ninth of your life with what you've built for yourself, I would be a happy camper. So my hat's off to you, dad. I said, how, how, how did you do that? Well, how did you figure that out? He goes, very simple. Two words, hard work, period. 
He didn't necessarily teach me the value of a dollar, but he told me I couldn't have the dollar until I earned the dollar. That was the connection for me. As I grew up, realized that I needed to be careful with my money because it wasn't falling off trees. I needed to respect it because it could easily take me to a place that I didn't want or it could put me in a place that I could be at a loss at. Part of me became afraid of it, too, because at one point in my career, I was earning quite a substantial salary. I was in a big production um, uh, that uh, I stayed with for a number of years. What was the production? (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask. So there was the London production and then the Broadway production, the Los Angeles production, and then my production of this little musical called Cats, which I was very blessed to be cast in. As my mother would say, well, at least she made the top five. And that was, I I was the fourth person in the trajectory of that show to be cast as the Skimbleshanks character, Skimbleshanks the Railway Cat. So, Well, Skimbleshanks, it's an honor to be talking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) And as many have said, you were in the Hamilton of your times. You you were in this absolute mega, mega money-making musical that no expense was spared in it. And we were very fortunate to be making incredible salary. When I realized how much money I was making, I was like, ooh, I can buy that and I can buy that and I can do that. And then I thought, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Pull those reins back. This is your nest egg and this is going to be your retirement. And this is going to be where you're going to have to, you know, live off of for X number of years. And, you know, so that happened a few times. I was in a, you know, Knockwood, a few other big shows like that, which was wonderful. And I'm careful with it. I am respectful of it because the way I was taught to handle it. But I can be very afraid of it because I think, well, what if I what if I make, you know, X millions of dollars? Who will I be in relationship to that? It's, it's an interesting thought process. So you said you were making a very good salary. That was a union show. What was a weekly fee? And I not to date you, but I know it was a long time ago. So the minimums and all that are different now. Not that different. I'm sorry to have to say, because um, I do look at the figures that a chorus. Co- well, I was on a I was on a pink contract, uh, which uh, is a chorus contract. But I had a rider because I was doing a role that had a number. And you know, when Equity sees a show, they determine who gets what. That's that's the, that's on them. It also depends on if you're above title, if you're below title, and what color contract you're on. Pink or white, simple. Um, that hasn't changed. But the rider is what really started to get the money going. The other thing too. You have to understand, this was the national tour. So we were on per diem. There were ways that you could figure out how to save your per diem because that was just money in your pocket. You had your salary, your base salary. I had my additional rider for doing skimble shanks. We also got hazard pay because of the rake on the stage. And we also got time extra to come in to do our makeup. There were all these little you know, add-ons that happened. By the time I was walking out of there, I mean, I think it was two grand that I was making a week. At that time, I was okay with it. You know, I think the job was, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more, but whatever it was, when I went to get my earnings from the union, from the, from the actors equity, the lady puts the paper on the table. And, and I had a several other shows that I was Broadway shows. And I looked at the thing and I was like, did I actually make that much money? I was like, are you kidding me? I said, where the hell did it all go? You know, but you know that that like I said, it was you know quite a while ago. But that money rolled into an IRA account, 
It rolled into my pension and welfare. It, it you know it, it paid for health insurance. So the benefits were were, were wonderful. So I'm 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 a pro union guy and because I belong to every union under the sun and then some. So amazing. And how how long were you with that show? Two years. Two years, and I immediately went into another. I mean, immediately, like a week later, I left the show, and then I went into another Broadway show, uh, which I was another nine months on, um, and then I did a, another Broadway show after that. So I was very fortunate. I, I, I knock wood um, on all of that. So yeah, I was making top dollar. So I would ask you a simple question that is encompasses a lot here. How do you make a living? And or specifically, how have you made a living? You clearly started as a dancer. But then how have you, you know, changed that throughout to today where you're directing mostly? They, they are all transferable skills. And I think it's very important to understand you can trans, transferable skills. Because I asked that very same question when I got a phone call from a prominent director and choreographer, Patricia Birch, who, if your viewers aren't aware of who she is, her career is, is a 50, 60 year career. She's most noted for being the choreographer for Greece, the the music, the original production of Greece, and then she directed the film and the sequel to the film. Called me one day and she says, "Hey, I I hear you you want to be a, a director and a choreographer. Well, I'm going to take you out of the chorus because I you're you're too good for the chorus. I've seen your work. Uh, I need an, I'm looking for an assistant. That was it, Ethan. I hung up my toe shoes. I had one more show to do, one more contract to do, and after that contract, I hung up my toe shoes. I didn't want to perform again. I had done it. I'd done it on every level you can conceivably do it on. I was in the trenches with it. I was that dancer that went to the uh, went to the GM on opening night and handed in my notice, my two week out, because I had another show that was coming up at another theater that I was already in. I was so blessed with that. I never stopped working as a dancer. I was a guy. I was good looking. I had hair. I could sing. I could dance. Eh. And I could I could do these little specialty parts. So, but when Pat called me and says I'm looking for an assistant, I switched gears like that. I stayed her assistant for about 13 years, and those were experiences that I would never have gotten on my own. Film work, television work, international work, Canada, Europe, um, everything from major motion pictures to TV specials. More, a couple more Broadway shows. I was always included in on her contract, so so I was part of her negotiation, and I was paid very handsomely. And I never ever worried about that. But I respected the fact that she took care of me, and she took care of me very nicely. She had top of the line service uh, afforded her as she should, and I was part of that. So I was so grateful. As I say, I have drunk from that goblet. <laughs> I have sat at that table and, 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 and eaten with, with that gold fork, gold spoon, whatever it is. And then there comes a point in time where you say, okay, I've done enough assisting. I need to move forward. And I move forward. And that's when I started my production company, which I think we'll talk about. I really just embraced a, a career as a director and choreographer. So how I make my, how I make my living? I have made it in the entertainment industry, plain and simple. And how old were you when you switched from dancing to assistant directing? And then again, I guess, 13 years from there, transitioning to just directing on your own. 
there was a point in my life when I was giving myself the five-year cycle, you know, thing, like five years I have to be doing this and five years I have to be doing that, which is sort of I still think about that. Let me see. I got my equity card right out of college. So I was, and I got my first Broadway show literally out of college. So, you know, 21 to 31 was my dancing, you know, 31 to 41 was uh, working with Pat, 41 to 50 was sort of, you know, making that transition. Maybe, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly <laughs> the, the, the accurate ages when I, when, I, when I transitioned through all of that. I am grateful to be alive today doing what I'm doing. I have not had any other career except that in the entertainment industry, whether it be on the business side or the performing side or the management side, that's all I've done. You mentioned your production company. So you created that when you went to direct on your own? A little bit. So I looked up that information because you asked, when did you create that? It was 2013 that I that I actually became a legitimate uh, limited liability company and I filed papers with New York State. But I was using JSC, I was using JSC Productions prior to that as an ENI, which is in, which is basically your, your like an independent contractor, which I still am an independent contractor. But I legitimately formed the company in 2013. And I did that slightly prior to turning 50, actually. I had gotten to a point where I said there has to be more beyond five, six, seven, eight. There are numbers past that. I applied for the Caroline Newhouse Career Transition for Dancers Scholarship, and you had to give them a business plan. Well, I didn't know what the heck a business plan was. So the Actors Fund, which your audience should also know about, has programs which helps artists understand that there's a world bigger than just what we do. There are classes that they offer. There's, uh, you know, how to build your resume other than acting resume, how to do, how to engage in other, you know, entrepreneurial components of your life. You just shouldn't sing, dance and act that you shouldn't just do that. You should, you should form a company. You should, you should become an entity uh, and taken seriously in, in the world. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be legitimized, basically. The Actors Fund was holding a workshop called How to Create Your Production Company. And I thought, oh, let me, I want to apply to that. I did, and I was turned down. Hmm. Next year, same thing. How to Create Your Production Company. I applied, and I was turned down. So I said, wait a second now. I picked up the phone, and I called the lady up, and I said, this is the second time you have turned me down for this. Why? Jonathan, you have too much experience. You're, this is, this is, this is, you're, you're beyond this. And I said, Mrs. So-and-so, I said, you know, the minute I stop learning, that's going to be a really bad day. And there was silence on the other end of the phone. And she said, you're in. And that opened the door. I learned about the Commercial Theater Institute through that. I learned about the uh, uh, NIFA, the New York Foundation for the Arts, which is an incredible organization, Theater Resources Unlimited, and several other organizations that help you understand that little word next to the word show. I wish I could coin the phrase, but Irving Berlin got to it before me, and that is business. 
There, this is a business. It's show business. It's not show art. It's not show pretty. It's show business. And I knew show, show very well, Ethan. I knew it. I could do it cold, but I didn't know business. So I made a concerted effort to basically stop what I was doing and learn the business of show business. And I was hungry and voracious, and I took every course I could possibly take, applied to everything, and I'm, I'm proud to say I'm a graduate of the Commercial Theater Institute's um, alumni. Uh, I, I have been a, a guest speaker for the New York Foundation for the Arts, um, specifically on how do, you, how do you transition from being a dancer to being a, a, a business owner within the arts community. So. Why did you create an LLC versus just working as an independent contractor? So, so I, I, I do work as an independent contractor, and you can work as an independent contractor when you have an LLC. It depends upon the job I'm doing. If I'm hiring people to work for me, which I've had the opportunity to do, I don't want that employee, not, they're not actually an employee, um, I don't want that individual to come back and say, oh, you know, I broke my finger and I'm going to sue you and I'm going to take your, 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 your apartment and I'm going to take your, your summer home. I didn't want, I wanted to have a complete separation of the business from the personal. And so I didn't want those two to co collide at all. Uh, so that's why I created a limited liability corporation company. LLC. So they have, I have limited liability. Whenever I go and do a work under my production company that I hire somebody or I hire a venue or lighting equipment or whatever it is, no one can come back to me and take, drain my bank account, you know, take my house, you know, take the car. They can't do that. Um, so I, I, I did this specifically to separate the personal from the professional, period. Okay, so so you work as a director, as an independent contractor. Somebody can just hire you to come in and direct, right? Because I'm a union member, and 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 I can actually hire myself through my company under an SDC contract. I can't sign my contract. So what did I do? I put my sister, that twin I spoke about, I put her as a president of the company, so she can sign checks, she can sign contracts. Which is what I actually had did did a few you know for a number of a number of years, but I am still an independent contractor. I don't work for a corporation, you know that that's that's a different thing. I'm an employee. When a producer hires me, then I become an employee of that or, of that particular job. But the union has you know has they have a union. I sign a union contract first and foremost. That that that's a non-negotiable. Um, but I can do that if I produce the play. I Give us an myself. example of something that you've done with the JSC Theatricals LLC. Last year, uh, I produced a, a streaming online benefit for the Actors Fund and for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, called With Love Now and Forever, Cats for COVID Relief. And I, I got together my company of cats, let's go back there for a second, to um, do a benefit for Broadway Cares. So what I did was I put this under JSC Theatricals, right? I, I had a contract with the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union, the, the remote media contract. I paid myself $0, okay, because it was a benefit, $0. However, I did 
I think it was five bucks, give five bucks to my pension and welfare, right? Maybe it was 10 bucks, whatever it is. It was a nominal fee. But I had my sister sign the contract because she was a president of the company and she could then write, write me a check, which I just <laughs> in turn wrote back to the, wrote back to the union. So th that's one configuration of, of what I have done. So, um, it, it you know, Hollywood's been doing this for decades. The, th the theater artists don't really have this, this acumen, um, built into their, into their learning, into their business psyche. Um, but you have, you know, Reese Witherspoon has her own production company. She produces her own work and she hires herself to do that work. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a simple, you know, not so simple sometimes, but it's, it's a way of well, doing yeah, business. Well, yeah, for designers, you know, designers will hire assistants and some people just hire the assistants, pay them as an independent contractor. And I guess in this situation, we would say they're not uh, protected from liability doing it that way. And then there's other designers who say they have a design studio, which the work doesn't change, but they have an LLC set up and they pay people through the LLC. And I guess in that sense, they're, they're protected. I, I, I want to say like deductions and itemizations for taxes don't really change because you can still itemize as an independent contractor as you can with the LLC. I don't know that there's any tax benefits at all to, to opening the LLC. I think it's just protection. It's protection, you know, and as you, as you, as you build your, you know, your, your portfolio up, I have a Roth IRA account. I have several other accounts, inheritance, and this, this kind of thing that I, I, I don't want anybody to, to touch. That's why I separate from the personal, from the professional. You have to look at yourself as a business, show business. So set yourself up as a business and work through that business when you do your work, period. Hire assistants. That's all I do is hire assistants. And as you well know, because we've worked together, I pay everyone. I volunteer for one organization, Broadway Cares. And that's why I said I paid myself zero dollars. My sister was like, when she saw the zero, she goes, who pays themselves nothing? I said, Lorianne, I do, because it's, it's a benefit. So we, we're not making any money on this. But I hire assistants all the time. Like Pat Perch tied me into her contracts. I, I now have the fortune to tie assistants into my contracts. If I make X number of dollars, they get a percentage of that. But of course, then I, you know, pop that percentage up to the producer to say, you know, pay on top of this for an assistant. That's just, that's just the way it is. So everybody gets paid. Yeah. Everybody. Okay. Well, just go ahead and include the lighting designer in that, um, in your contract <laughs> as well. Could well, you just you know, take care of everybody you know, here? <laughs> you know, Ethan, we, we're, we've been looking for, for a project to, to do and we, 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 what, we'll what, yeah, we're, we're going to get another one. Yeah, the, la the last one we did was the boys from Syracuse at Theater Row. But I'm bringing it up because Josh Warner was our set designer. He yes. is a patron of Artistic Finance. <laughs> is he really? <laughs> Which you can become a patron too at patreon.com slash artistic finance. No monthly contract. You can quit anytime. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you for that. Thank you for that plug. I will. I will have to look for it. You will. You will uh, send me the information on that through the chat box here. Josh Warner, talented guy, wonderful designer. I would work with him in a in a in a in a, a, a snap of a finger. But one of the one of the great things about that is, I, as I hope you know, I am painfully loyal. When I 
when I assemble a team, that team, it, I stick with them, and they thankfully stick with me. So some something in that machine must be working. And Josh, when I saw that he went to Emerson College, I went, I want to talk to him. There's an allegiance that I have because I got a good education, so I want to see whether. And Emerson did a whole thing on us, you know, two two generations meet and blah blah blah. So it was, it, it was a great collaboration on all of great experience, parts. great show. I hope to see it again one day, or get it up on its feet again one day. I want to talk about email lists. You'll see advice that says no matter what your business is, no matter what you do, you need an email list because that's one way that you can directly connect with people. You know, it's not social media. It's not a website. It's a way that you can connect with no third party, you know, other than your email server. So that being said, I know that I should have an email list and I know that artistic finance should have an email list, but you do have one. Why did you start it? Um, And because it comes out, I'm going to say twice a year. And it's sort of an update on JSC theatricals. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 right about that. And and you know, I another Broadway play I I did musical I did. Um, the producer Randall Riggert, who was just a gentleman of the theater, and we unfortunately lost Randall. He was the one who actually said to me because I was the assistant director on on Band in Berlin. It was called. He says, you know, you you director guys, you know, you 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 got to get like in 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 touch with like the internet and and uh, you know the 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 online media and all of this. This was before Twitter and Instagram and all these other social media platforms. This was just strictly a newsletter, an email, a, a, an announcement of something that you were doing. So I said, Randall, you're you're right. How do I do that? He goes, start a database. Make sure you have an accurate database. And you continually update it. But one thing you must do is ask permission. I said, oh, what do you mean ask for, Who do I ask permission for? The internet? He goes, no, of the person you're asking to be put on that newsletter. So I've made it a practice, more often than not, to say, hey, I would like to, would you be okay for me to put you on my email list? I, I'm not a commercial entity. I, I, you know, I, I don't have a product to sell. I got a show that you, I want you to come and see. But I'm not selling a you know a, a, a bottle of uh, you know dishwasher detergent. Every company that I go into, I ask you know permission. Hey, listen, can I can I can I move you into my email list? You will always have the option to opt out of it. But I've made the I've respectfully asked that person, can I do this? And more often than not, they're like, absolutely, I'd love to. And then you start to engage in a, in your community. I curate my email list and I update it and I make sure that it's accurate. Um, I, I do it every six months, actually. Um, it's been a little less than that this, this past two years. But when I put an email, when I put a newsletter out, and you're right, I don't bombard people with it. I do it very carefully and judiciously. Um, I may push it out a little bit more when I'm actually fundraising for a show. The project that I did uh, called Windy Woo and Her Naughty Naughty Pets, I, I actually raised the capital for it. So I did a little bit more of an aggressive um, uh, newsletter campaign on that. But everything was carefully modulated. It was carefully placed. The email was specific to a time and a time of day, a specific objective. And that email list, right now, it, I you know, it's, it, I, I have... This is, it's nothing compared to some, but it's like, you know, over 3,000 emails that I actually have, you know, respectfully gotten 
but that's all then connected or it has become connected now to other social media outlets such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But the newsletter the newsletter is where it's And it when started. you say connected to, does that mean you write it and it at the same time it emails out, it goes to the social media, or that you just repurpose the content from the newsletter and go put it onto the social media? It's it's all connected. It's all everything is connected to everything else. So um, when I post my newsletter, I'm able to post it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So those are the three platforms that I use. I am not on TikTok. Plenty of sorry. fish. You're not I'm, on Plenty of Fish. Yeah, I get I'm it. not on Plenty of Fish or Go Fish or. <laughs> I, I, I those are the only three that I that I nuts maintain. and bolts of this. What software do you use or what program do you use to create the newsletter? Well, the, the newsletter, and, I, and I'm glad you asked that because I wrote it down, it is your mailing list provider. So what I did was I did a cost survey analysis of what newsletter uh, programs were like. Uh, there's, of course, Constant Contact. MailChimp. MailChimp, yeah. exactly. And I found that for where I was, for my budget, for what I needed because I wasn't putting content out every week or every month or every day, I wanted the lowest common denominator uh, financially to, to secure uh, this. And so uh, it's a program that's out of uh, Europe, actually, but I'm able to create a newsletter from a template that, that I you know redesigned and repurposed for myself and for my branding because I wanted a very specific brand and I made a logo and a font and uh, a color scheme and a, and, a, and a color palette for that. I, I am using that template as we move forward in, in, in all of this. So there was a, a careful look at, at how, to, how to do this and become very, very careful about it. There's that. But build, definitely build a database and that's you know, an email client database. Well, can you say the name of it one more time? Sure, it's your mailing list provider. YMLP is the acronym. The for database it. of names is that included in that? Like, did you put that into that? No, 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 no. So I, I use Gmail, Google Mail, my contact list. Okay, and everything starts there, and then I'm able to to export that into a CVS file. You know, comma separate CSV, comma separated value or comma value separate database. I then I have to delete some columns from that database to coincide and to fit within the uh, fields, as they're called, data fields within the your mailing list provider's program. So I have to do a little bit of fine finessing with the the Excel spreadsheet is basically what it is. So once you learn how to you know use an Excel spreadsheet, you know how to input an email address, it all it all figures into each other very nicely. You asked about, you know, the email. You, I'm sure you've heard of the Sophie Tucker, the, the Chanteuse of the 20s and 30s and 40s. Well, there's a phenomenal documentary about her. And in the documentary, it validated what I was doing. When she toured the country, she, they found all of these huge books. She would write in that book the names of everyone she came in contact with, their telephone number, their address, the position that they held at the theater. Because when she toured the country doing her show over 40 years, she knew Johnny, the bellman at the so-and-so hotel. His wife's name is Carla. 
their anniversary. So she engaged with a client and she says, that means one thing, money. And she was building up her spreadsheet. So when she would go into a town, she would write them at Johnny, I'm coming into town. I hope to see you at the show. That was a ticket. That was a sale for her. Then she would send them coming to the, a flowers or thank you for coming. So there was a reciprocity of her fan base that she built up over time, but she made careful notes. And I thought, this is genius. This is brilliant. I'm doing the same thing. I'm building up when I want to invite somebody. I go, okay. Oh, so Ethan came to this workshop I did and he likes this kind of show. So I'm going to invite him to this because I think he might like this. So you curate your database. As you move through time, when you're asking for money to fund a show, this comes in very handy. Not only because, A, you've built up a relationship with them, they trust you. They want to see you succeed. They have the money to spend. The pitch is make a contribution to the arts and humanities. It is an essential service as far as I'm concerned. What we do is an essential service. Because without the arts, we are nothing. We are nothing without the arts. And I just don't mean creative arts, but you know, a mathematician, that's an art. A scientist, that's an art. We are nothing without art, you know? That separates us from the animal from, from Well the does animals. it though, because you're in the arts and you're also a cat. So I don't know how much separation <laughs> Very there is nice there. segue. Very good. You must be a writer too. Is that what you Okay, that what so you're doing? I I no, Business I know, Insider I is one of those news sources that I that comes across my feed all the time. So there was an article they did uh, a couple months ago, a month ago, recently, uh, called When COVID nineteen shut Broadway down, digital theater filled the gap and many think it's here to stay. Now that headline does not strike me, however, I clicked on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the first paragraph or so, and you are in the article talking about a Zoom production that you did. Can you just briefly tell us about what you were talking about there? Absolutely. I'd been working on a, on a play, and uh, the opportunity came um, at the end of last year to engage in um, an online presentation of this play at the Blank Theater in Los Angeles. Now, the Blank Theater is a... Very well recognized. It's like their Playwrights Horizons um, uh, of Los Angeles. Uh, it, it actually is on what's called their theater row, from what I understand. So I said to the playwright who asked me to do it, I says, well, we're in the height of COVID. What, you know, what, am I to go to Los Angeles? I'm, what, what's happening here? He says, no, it's all going to be done online. I said, I'm going to be up front because that's who I am. I, this is new territory for me, but bring it on. I'm interested in learning. Long story short, there was a system called uh, um, uh, OBS, uh, which is the Open Broadcast System. Basically, you're, you're, a, you're your own film production company. The wonderful producer, Brie Parvey is her name, said, hey, I'll walk you through this. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. But it, you are actually making a small film of your play. Uh, once I understood this, I said, oh, my God, no one will ever do a Zoom reading, at, nor should they ever again. Because when you have this, this uh, software, which is free, by the way, 
You will never look at doing an online streaming program if you don't have the capabilities of doing an in-house filming of your production like they did with Diana or you've got you know Netflix behind you. But if you're if you're doing this in in this raw format that that was very affordable, it's the way to go. I storyboarded the whole show. Uh, there was camera angles. There was graphics involved with it. There was movement of of the of the images. You're still dealing in 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 a square frame with that actor because they are stationary in their home, wherever their location may be. I was in New York. One actor was in Los Angeles. The playwright was in Sacramento, and another actor was in Hawaii. So I had like four time zones, three time zones I had to deal with, but we got it done. We rehearsed on Zoom. I'll say that. But then we switched over to this system called OBS, Open Broadcast System. We had a camera rehearsal. We had a full day of shooting. We had a day of pickups. And then it was edited. Music was put underneath it. And when the thing, when, you know, when, when we saw the rough cut, uh, you know, the changes that we could make to it. But it was brilliant. And I said, this is not going anywhere. And now, of course, we've, we've gone one step beyond that. And SAG-AFTRA has this mini contract. Are you familiar with this? I have not worked under it yet, but this videographer that I've worked with, Matt Gurin, told me about this. Matthew Gurin. Like, I, I just uh, did the lighting for their filmed. They filmed the first half of Rio Uphill. I just lit it. So, Ethan, you should be telling your audience about this because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. So, Matt, Matt is a brilliant artist. I, I worship the ground he walks on. He's a terrific guy ridiculously talented man. I hadn't seen him in, you know, these two years. And I, I, I went to the theater the other day because, you know, I'm an artistic associate for the Amos Musical Theater. I don't know if your audience knows that, but I'm a proud, proud artistic associate. There's only four of us there. He's their go-to videographer. He was there and I was like, hey, how you doing? And, and he said, I said, what, what have you been up to? He goes, well, we just, we just filmed Rio. What's Rio it called? Uphill. Rio, Rio Uphill. I said, what do you mean filmed it? He goes, oh, yeah, we just did it on the SAG after mini contract. I was like, what? So immediately I got home and I went online and I've downloaded all the information. I'm now discussing this with a project that I'm working on. It allows you to film your show for a multi-range multi of, of, of opportunities with it. It's the way that this is going to happen. It's the way that the, the world, and it should be this way. You've got to be able to, to combine this format, which has been around. We're actually talking through it right now. It's not going anywhere. So equity, SDC, we all need to come to the table and, 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 and shake hands on it. And, and, and they are. So let me give your listeners the exact name of this particular contract. It's called a micro-budget agreement. And you can find all of the paperwork on that in the SAG-AFTRA. It's called micro-budget agreement. Boy, when I came across this, and I, I thank Matt for it, I was like, oh boy, this is, this is the way to go. I am such a visual human being. I, I'm a photographer as well. And, and you know, if, if theater were to, to collapse tomorrow, I still have this, this wonderful instrument, which I can hold at the end of my hand and, and, and seriously be happy in life. To be able to see through a, a different medium has been everything. And I've really loved it. So I'm, I'm, now thinking how I incorporate this as we move forward. So what financial advice or career advice would you give to somebody who's starting right now? And I'm going to say as a dancer, because that's how you started, but you can 
give it to any anybody. Think of yourself as a business entity. You're your own calling card. If they haven't been told that, they need to hear that. But as far as your financial, uh, the first thing I was told is make a budget and stick to it. Make a budget. You spend X number of dollars on laundry, X number of dollars on headshots, X number of dollars on classes. Make a budget and keep within that budget so that you are never going what? Over budget. And know what your intake is and what your outtake is. And be organized with that. There are so many um, tax benefits that you can have when you take your clothes to the laundry. Those are audition clothes. They, that's a tax deduction. So, so be, talk to your accountant as to how you successfully handle all of the deductions that you can take. I work out of my home. My, I can take a percentage of my, my rent off of my, off of my taxes. So, and that's another reason why I, I, I built a, you know, a business. Absolutely, make a budget. Learn how to do an Excel spreadsheet. I didn't, I learned, and now I live by them. And as a dancer, you have transferable skills. What's the first thing they teach you in dance? Be on time. That's a transferable skill through life. Know the text. Know when you walk into the room, you're going you're gonna to do center, you're going to do bar work, you're going to do across the floor. Know it. Come into the room with a head full of ideas. That's the only way you're going to be able to work, is if you come into that room and you have ideas. Those are all transferable skills that you can use as you, as you march forward in life. And of course, you know, there are, I will mention this book through the New York Foundation for the Arts. It's called The Profitable Artist. It's the Bible. Absolutely get it. It explains everything that you need to know, how to incorporate. What do you trademark? How do you license? How do you copyright? You know, your work, everything that comes out of your mouth, that's intellectual property. You know, if you put that down on a piece of paper as a dancer, you have an idea for a ballet and you put that down on a piece of paper and you write that up. That is a tangible means of expression. That is a copywritten, a copyrightable piece of document that you can then put through the United States Copyright Office and you have the copyright on that. Think of yourself as a business and the profitable artist, New York Foundation for the Arts, it's a Bible, I tell you. The Commercial Theater Institute is another great organization that you should, you're listening to. Well, I don't know, to. I don't know, I'm, sure I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned it actually. Well, then you should. The commercial CTIs, it's called. Um, and there's a gambit of you know, various uh, things that you can get from them. Is, you know, the Profitable ha- Artist. Is that like a, a book book by an author? Or a book. It's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. A total book. Oh, it's a consortium of authors. It's all different people. And they just, they just um, I have it somewhere over here. Uh, they just, um, how do you say, like an update, a new edition to it. They republished it, so it, it's really incredible. And and you know, start to read contracts, start to figure out you know budget. That's where it starts. Numbers don't lie; they just don't lie. And you can't make them lie. Actually, I mean, you can you can, but there's a little thing called um, the uh, law. It's funny and, that you uh, say numbers don't lie because that's what I was thinking when you were saying a budget, make a budget. Because we had another Italian American on this, <laughs> Lisa Paniccia. That's her favorite saying: is the numbers don't lie. The reason I was afraid of numbers, now I'll tell you. I learned that I was severely dyslexic. There's many, many forms of dyslexia, but I have the most common, which is alpha and numeric dyslexia. Not only do I switch numbers, like an eight and a nine or a six and a nine, or just flip numbers you know, in a, in a sequence, I can't add in my head. Uh, I, that, that's, I just can't add in my head. And I had a lot of problems with f- fractions and decimal points. And, and don't ask me to do a percentage because I just I don't I have no idea. 
numeric dyslexia is also the same thing where you switch numbers and letters. So one thing I was going to say about your, about your newsletters, for God's sake, make sure it is accurate to the decimal point and to the period and to the comma. Because once it gets sent out there, it looks really bad to say, oops, sorry, which I've had to do. I spelled the name wrong. A link doesn't work. Test it before you put it out there. That's an imprint that then you can't pull it back because it, 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 it's out okay, there. Okay, so I don't have a newsletter, but I do post Patreon-only content for, for my 22 patrons. Thank you, patrons. Every time I generate content, it sends an email. So in a way, that's a newsletter. And I didn't even know that until a couple people said, oh, yeah, I'm always getting your emails. I like your emails. And then I realized, oh, I'm sending them a newsletter every single time I post. Something. <laughs> but that's engaging. It's engaging in your audience. So now that you know that, you're, you have the ability to curate that and respect it, you know, and, and embrace it. Because I don't know how else... In our profession, we're able to to get that out there. You know, you got to put the butts in the seats, as they say in the, in the business. We are in a in a in a in a, in a highly visible entity. Well, visible. I was going to say about you're making a mistake with the uh, newsletter. When I send out the newsletter for Patreon, I can go back to the original post and make changes, and then there's an option that says "Do not update people about this correction." I, I, I sort of have another big sort of global rule I, I think about, and this may be, may be interesting for your listeners, but always answer the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why. And if you have that as your foundation, who are you? What do you want to say? When do you want to say it? Where do you want to say it? And most importantly, why? Answer those five questions for yourself. I do this on every show I do. Who, what, where, when, and why. But you've got to be able to understand those simple, basic questions. And then you can build up. Listen, I, I, I didn't pull off the Christmas tree yesterday. I'm grateful to have you know, done, been doing what I'm doing. I have an incredible, wonderful you know, pool of, of great artists in this town and, and, and in Los Angeles a bit. When I would go to the theater... I would invariably run into someone I know, you know, and that's that's the community that uh, is is sacred to me. You ask how you deal with on, this online social media, you know, it's it's a slippery slope. I have one thing to say that my mom taught us. It's very simple, and it's what you learned in kindergarten: be careful crossing the street, hold each other's hands, and look both ways. That's all. Be nice. Be nice. I, I, I feel a lot of times, you know, um, this whole thing is opened up to your comment. Well, if I don't know you, why would you open yourself up to that comment? The filter has been shut off and there is no filter anymore. And we've given this outlet for this demonstrative behavior. I don't engage in it at all. Be careful how you modulate it and set your boundaries as you cross the street and look both ways and be nice. And you can turn somebody around like that. I got on the bus the other day and my phone app, the Wi-Fi, didn't show my ticket. The bus driver got enraged. He got angry. And I just, I said, be nice. Please be nice. We'll figure this out. Let me step aside 
so that the other customer, and I did. And I showed it to him. And as I got off the bus, he turned around and said, I'm sorry. I said, no problems, no worries, no worries. Have a good day. But if I had engaged in a confrontation with this man, it would have gone just nowhere. But as it turned out, this guy, who I didn't, I'll probably never see again, apologized. That's what I mean. Be nice. Look both ways before you cross the street and hold hands. I held the guy's hand. I said, be, be nice. You know? So, there you have it. Where can people connect with you? You know, all they have to do is put my name into a Google search box and hundreds of pages will come up. Um, please let me know if there's anything I should take down. No. Um, uh, they, they can, Not that they, you have that option with Google, really. <laughs> if it's up, it's up. <laughs> true story. You know, my jsctheatricals.com is my website, and there is a, there's a, a way to, you know, uh, actually, if you message me, you'll, it'll go to my attorney, um, uh, which, you know, they'll just forward a message to me. Um, uh, uh, but the, you know, jsctheatricals at gmail.com is my business um, email. And like I said, it's uh, literally just put my name in there and bam, it, it, it comes up. Yeah. All right. Totally. Well, Jonathan, I absolutely loved this chat. I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and just sharing all this with us. You are so welcome, Ethan. That was our interview with Jonathan Cerullo. My takeaways are about the emailing and marketing. One, start a database, a.k.a. a contact list. Two, get permission to put people onto the newsletter. That is something called permission-based marketing, which I just learned about. It's where people opt into the marketing versus direct marketing, where materials are sent to customers without their consent. And where did I learn that? I was listening to a podcast called Shazam, which is about women in magic, hosted by Kayla Drescher, and their latest article just happened to mention it, unrelated to anything else. You can find that at shazampod.com or in the show notes. As mentioned in the episode, I don't send a newsletter yet. But if you want to give permission and opt in for the coming soon Artistic Finance newsletter, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and ask to be put on the list. The newsletter updates will be for everyone, not just patrons. And a reminder that on November 20th, we will record an in-person episode at the Las Vegas Convention Center as part of LDI, the Live Design International Stage Technology Convention. So mark your calendar for 11.30 a.m. Las Vegas time. The topic is multiple streams of income, and I have two co-hosts, lighting designer Ebony Madri and rigger Siobhan Colleen, who founded Industry Explorers for everyone wondering about what career they should be going into. If you'll be in Vegas and you want to attend... Email me for a free ticket at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. And a tease for next episode, it's with lighting designer Don Chang about how those of us in the performing arts can use LinkedIn, the professional networking tool. It's an incredible conversation with free resources, so definitely be here next week for that discussion. And last but most important, thank you patrons for supporting this show. It's your time, money, and energy that enable these interviews to continue. To become a patron for a month or a year, visit patreon.com slash artisticfinance. We have outtakes from today's interview with Jonathan over on Patreon. We talk about his family ancestry going back to opera singers in Italy. That's it for today. Until next week, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. 
make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. 